Hello, and welcome to Sacred Adventure Begin, an inquisitive space where we explore topics like gaining wisdom, travel, yoga, meditation, dance, art, and following our soul-guided paths. I'm your host, Emily, from gettingintoit.com, and together we'll focus on enjoying, sharing, and interpreting our sacred adventures and how to embody these lessons in our daily lives. Let's begin. The angel inside wishes to tell you a secret, that yours is a life worth living, a dream worth having, that your very existence brightens the earth in a way no other can, that the light inside your soul is not meant to be hidden or denied. It is your gift to the world. This life that you live now is your impact on humankind, a model for generations to come. Death will not absolve you, but rather lift you into the night, a shining beacon for all who wish to follow. Live this life well, find your peace within, do minimal harm, right your wrongs whenever possible. Shine your beacon for those who struggle, those who wrong you, those who are difficult to understand. And most importantly, shine for yourself. Illuminate your own path. Don't wait for someone to do it for you. All that you will ever need is within you. Mm. That was a beautiful poem by Ashley Castle Barnes, our podcast guest for today, poet, author, intuitive coach. I cannot wait to share her wisdom and her voice with you on the episode today. There's this beautiful passage in the Bhagavad Gita, which is a sacred text coming out of India where one of the main characters named Arjuna, he's a warrior, um, in this particular passage, the one that I'm going to tell you a little bit about, um, he is feeling very conflicted about having to go to war with his family and what it would mean to potentially kill the many people he loves, you know, friends, family, teachers, on both sides of the battlefield. And for a brief moment... Um, as he's just airing all this grief to his charioteer, he longs to escape the situation he's in, and he's like grasping for anything that'll get him out of this. And he's like, well, maybe I'll just become a monk, like an aesthetic or a renunciate, and I'll just spend the rest of my life contemplating God. That would be so much better than where I'm at right now. And um, <laughs> he, he longs to more or less step away from what he knows he has to do, uh, rather than to practice, th- to process and practice through the difficulties. And the passage, it, it always gives me a little bit of a chuckle. Again, this, that was a summary. You should read the Gita. It's awesome. But it's a familiar story that I hear a lot in my coaching practice, in my teaching practice, which is when things get sort of tough, um, there's this desire to run away from it all or to kind of like leave and go somewhere else and find yourself in in literally anything but what you're fearing having to do. And the key is what his charioteer guides him to, which is namely how to accept, live, embody, and essentially see spiritual truths while fulfilling your destiny, like your mortal human destiny. In other words, how to do what you came here to do, what you incarnated to do on earth from a spiritual place. You don't need to run away from everything to find that. Uh, So to be spiritual in life is not to seek spirituality by removing oneself 
from life, but to see the spirituality in all the parts of your life. Renunciation, though, it's this like different type of wisdom or spiritual expression. And I have for a long time, like sort of admired people who choose that as a lifestyle. I have an aunt who is a cloistered passionist nun, meaning that they live a life of contemplation and prayer, primarily apart from society. So the good that they do in the world is through prayer work and keeping the faith and keeping the wisdom traditions. I've also met and visited aesthetics and renunciates while in India, and in fact, I have often left food and donations for them. I feel a sort of gratitude toward these lifestyles, and I, I just, I think it's so cool, the idea to spend your days utterly immersed in, in the wholeness of divinity, um, like having the divine or the spiritual permeate your being. And then also like being there, being of service to the world when that type of wisdom is needed. And also, I think those people are nice for the rest of society because their very existence, the, the very desire to drop life and dedicate wholly to spirit, to oneness, reminds all of the rest of us in our present day that that like, spirituality is present and permeating for us. But for many of us, the wisdom we seek, the lessons we're intended to learn, come through by applying our spiritual beliefs and practices to the world in which we live, a world which arguably is also a spiritual projection itself, and so there's no way we can separate ourselves from that, but, but a world nevertheless that seeks to convince us that it is separate from our spiritual being. A, there's a lot in there, right? <laughs> The reason I bring this up is because I have a fabulous podcast guest today who talks about this very thing, how struggles brought her to her spiritual truths, and of course, how she applies them to her life now. So how she gears up and steps into the battle she knows needs to be fought. And I also think that there is a tendency among people in the spiritual communities to leave things a little bit too early or to not look at the wisdom or lessons that are present even in difficult situations. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, it's like to say, I'm not happy, so it must be this job I'm working. Therefore, if I leave this job and travel for a year, I'll be happy. And while traveling, meditation, retreating often does provide us with the tools to do the inner work we need, eventually, we all have to come to a place where we realize that it wasn't the job, it was us all along making ourselves miserable. <laughs> um, but, and also in an empowering way, being the key to our own happiness. And I think that there might be some escapist tendencies uh, present in spiritual awakenings, like when you glimpse that wholeness and then you realize how far you were living from it, There, there is almost no way that you could go through that and then not want to change or even just going through that makes you changed. And so the situations around you naturally change with that. I hear at least over the phone, um, when I'm doing coaching or having, having calls with people, like I'll hear people ask, like, I've had this revelation. Now what do I do? <laughs> And so there's like this sort of stuckedness to like realizing the wholeness of, of who you are and uh, what the world is. 
or even just, like I said, getting a glimpse of that and then having to apply it. And this is why I think Ashley is so cool. I actually learned a few things about this incredibly talented friend of mine during our call, um, including the fact that she pivoted her nine to five job and then manifested a similar, I don't want to call it a nine to five, but like a corporate job, I guess you can call it that. Um, she manifested a new job and a new company that would allow her to use her heart-centered lessons to continue helping people in the business world, which I think is really epic. So she didn't necessarily abandon, you know, who she was or what she had built for herself or her life experiences. She just found a way to apply them, to apply her spiritual revelations to what's happening in her world, which is really, really cool. And I think a good... Um, thing to think about as a spiritual community or a community of people who are um, in the process of our own awakening. Like, how are we taking that out into the world? How are we loving more deeply? How are we letting these lessons guide us? Hopefully, she will be an expander for you for what is possible once you've made that transition, once you've said, okay, it's time to change and go deeper. So sometimes you don't need to leave your field, you don't need to blow up your life, you don't need to cut off contact with every human being you've ever known to allow like change and growth to occur or for you to embody the fullness of who you are spiritually. Although, and I am going to caveat this, if there are situations in your life that are causing you sustained damage or prohibiting you from living your life to your fullest and healthiest or like threatening you physically, emotionally, in any way, by all means, do what you need to do and listen to your soul's wisdom. If, if leaving is what you need to do, then definitely, definitely go. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. <laughs> I'm just saying you don't have to. So Ashley Castle Barnes and I met through Woman to Woman Kentuckiana. Uh, we were both board members. Ashley is a healer, poet, and author of two books so far, The Angel Inside, Inspiration to Connect with Your Inner Guidance, and The Rising. I'm going to read to you from The Rising. She read to you from The Angel Inside, as well as a blog of poetic healing and daily bliss messages. She rediscovered her passion for writing nearly 15 years after losing her mother to a long battle with cancer. Using poetry as an outlet for healing, exploration, and discovery of her own deeper connection to her inner guidance and spiritual gifts. Though her true love and gift is the written word, she is a certified coach and Reiki master who leads women's circles, workshops, private in-person and virtual energy coaching sessions, and holds space for the Facebook community Awakening Angels Women's Circle. She is the current president of Woman to Woman Kentuckiana and has enjoyed a professional career in leadership and organizational development for over 14 years. Currently, she is happily married with four children, a granddaughter, and too many pets to mention. Although she lives in southern Indiana for now, her heart is always in the magical sand and glorious green water of Siesta Key Beach, where she feels most inspired. The bio on her website is so uplifting. You should check out the links in the show notes. Um, but I also wanted to read to you how she writes about the time before she discovered her spiritual path and true voice because it's um, a story that a lot of us, I think, can relate to. She says, Like most people, I've suffered, often needlessly. My parents divorced when I was 18. I was first married at 24. I lost my mother, my best friend, to colon cancer at age 27. I suffered from depression, anxiety, and burnout, adrenal fatigue, 
lifelong IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome, and my own divorce at 30 after only six years of marriage and with two young children. I had no good systems in place to successfully get through the inevitable trials of life. Ashley cites a writing class as being a major catalyst in helping her turn things around and putting her back in touch with her inner truths. I'll let her words from her website bring us into this interview. I am a bridge, a light, a connector of worlds, translating love into suffering hearts for the journey home, through the darkness, through the pain, through the nights that seem to never end, let the healing begin. Hello, Ashley Barnes, and welcome to Sacred Adventure Begin. Can you start by telling people a little bit about who you are and the work you do in the world? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yay! Yay! <laughs> it's nice to be talking to you again. Um, I am, well, I, I do a lot of things. Uh, so um, my passion work right now is I am a poet and an author. I have two books of published poetry so far, and I am a coach and an energy healer, and I work primarily with women who are going through um, transition uh, to help them transform into, um, to have, and heal so that they have a you know, a better next chapter of their life um, that comes next. Um, and then my other work that I do, which has been my career for quite a while, uh, 15, 16 years now, is organizational development and training. Um, and I, like I said, I've done that for quite a while. And it, it's an interesting balance between the two, you know, kind of the, the head and the heart. But um, I get that creative work from both. Mm-hmm. Um, so they both feed me in a little bit different way. Um, and I learned a whole lot about myself in the corporate world and how that translates into the um, more spiritual uh, heart work I do with, with women. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. I feel like a lot of people, when they start learning about spirituality or they start like a meditation thing or whatever, they immediately like go like, I'm going to quit my job. Like my, my life goal is now to quit my job and to do just this. And I think that they like forget that you can be both, like Mm -hmm. you can have both lives. So can you actually, I'm really curious about this. So you, you have a corporate job in organizational development. Yes. And then does that like inform how you work with people? Are you also like utilizing the way like you structure a system to help people like restructure, relook at their lives? Yeah, so um, to go back first to your original comment, I did exactly what you said. As soon as I got into all of this coaching and energy work, I was like, I must get out of here. And I was miserable for several years in the corporate world, just thinking I was wasting my talent when I could be doing all this other more important work. Um, And it took me some time to really integrate the two and see how one feeds the other. And what I find probably more is that the external work I do, the coaching and healing, that actually contributes more to how I interact in the corporate world and what I bring there. Because I feel like there's such a lack of that in how we address people in organizations. And so I'm in HR, I'm in training, I'm in organizational development. So I have a unique opportunity to kind of bring some of that in 
little ways, you know, I have to be a little careful um, with the woo woo, but um, you know, I do always, you know, when we have strategic meetings and we're talking about how we should address things, I'm always the one to say, Hey, how about we, we got to make sure we're really empathetic or we meet people where they're at, or we ask the right questions to address what's going on with people and not just throw training at them because there's a corporate initiative to do it. Um, sometimes I win, sometimes I don't, <laughs> but I'm really at this point in my life, very, um, blessed, or maybe I should say I've kind of manifested a, a team that is very open to that and is respectful of what I bring to the table. Um, even as they're going forward in their normal corporate kind of, uh, kind of way. <laughs> this is incredible. So I've actually literally never heard anyone talk about how they bring like their spiritual <laughs> lessons into corporate world. Like almost every time you hear somebody talking about stuff like this, it's like, I, you know, I was in this horrible corporate job. I was miserable. Mm-hmm. I became a meditator. I quit it. And I'm never looking back. And I like, I literally, I'm glad that we're talking about this. Right. It's so needed. It's so needed for people in the world. It totally is. Or even just um, learning how to be aware of where people are coming Mm -hmm. from, from an emotional perspective as you're rolling things out. I think is super important too. Can, can you, I, cause I literally do not know what an organizational development is. <laughs> I, I'm sorry to ask you to talk about this, which is opposite of the, or not opposite, but like sure. a different element of, of aspect of you. So people hire people in HR to help with like, so can you just tell me what you do? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no problem at all. And actually I think organizational development um, on its own is very it's not even understood in the in the world of that actually uses those terms. So you are not alone. Um, I think most people think of it as training, uh-huh. um, and training is an aspect of that. But in true organizational development, um, you would be looking at a problem that the organization is having, or some kind of um, change they want to make, and assessing it from a big picture perspective to see what's the best solution. And training might be the solution. It might be a piece of the solution, um, but maybe it's rearranging something ergonomically for an employee, right? I mean, that could Uh be organizational development. Um, It could be a lot of different things. It could touch on a lot of different aspects of of business life. Um, But true organizational development is not just training. It almost invariably gets lumped into, let's throw training at it. Um, and so part of my job too, then as trainer is to say, okay, is training what you really need? Because everybody comes and says, my, my employees don't communicate with each other. And we're like, what does that really mean? (laughs) Um, and oftentimes that may be true. And other times it looks more like, well, these two don't get along. And I, as a leader, am not really good at conflict management. So I want to throw a conflict management training at my whole team to address these two right here mm-hmm. instead <laughs> yeah. of going directly to where the pain point is. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool that that exists in the world. And I feel really happy now to hear, <laughs> to hear, to hear those like elements that we can take from our spiritual practice and apply them to the, to the world. Right. So, um, I guess kind of dipping into a little bit of how you got here, I see from your website that this has been sort of a journey for you. So 
what led you from the point of misery <laughs> or can, can you talk about how you got to the misery uh, sure. and then a little bit about your, your, um, the methods that you uh, used or the journeys that you went on spiritually to get to the place where you are now? Sure. And I'm going to try to make this short because oh, girl, it could be no. a really long story. We have, it, <laughs> we're in quarantine. We have hours. That's true. <laughs> hours and hours. Yes. Um, well, the very original origin that I can remember of, of where the misery started that I'm still unwrapping um, at this point um, was in high school. And there was a series of events that started at end of high school with a boyfriend who you know we broke up it was a terrible thing and then we mm -hmm. broke up and he married dated then married my best friend which no like, oh yeah yeah Aww. that was the thing and then um you know I went off to college too it was lovely I was looking forward to escaping that situation and those people and um my mom was diagnosed with cancer in October after I started college in the freshman year and then in January my dad decided it was time to divorce my mom <gasps> after 20 years of marriage um, and it was a very ugly divorce so um, yeah so not a lot of time to really process the thing from high school when I have some new things really big new things going on and I'm meeting new friends and trying to you know, forge a new, a new path here. And, you know, old stuff is just still, well, new old stuff is coming in. Yeah. Um, like tra that was trauma of like relationships and, yes. and abandonment. Yes. It's like, oh my God, processing that while you're in school. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then also like the, uh, that must have been so hard. You were so young when your mom got diagnosed with cancer. Yes, yes. Um, and this went on a long time. So, you know, at the time she was diagnosed, it was colon cancer. They felt like they got it. You know, they did some um, some preventative chemo kind of stuff. Um, you know, nothing really crazy other than, than add to it. Of course, thing, you know, she and her husband split up. Now, to be mm -hmm. fair, uh, I love both my parents. My They should have divorced a long time ago. So this was a long time coming. No, I mean, this was something we all saw coming. It's just the timing could not have been worse. I mean, just not yeah. at all. So um, in the meantime, I'm, I meet a new boy, right? Really right uh -huh. around that same time. I think it was around February or so of that freshman year. And <laughs> so I guess I traded one really uh, crappy relationship <laughs> in high school for a new one in college. Oh, great. <laughs> so, you know, that's what we tend to do, right? Is yep. we, uh, we repeat patterns and um, it was, we dated, I guess, about three years. So basically from freshman year until high till senior year. And we broke up like seven times, maybe eight. Um, so it was one of those kind of, um, this is, this is fated to go poorly from the start. And yet we just still kept at it for many years. Um, so that was going on. And then I guess my senior year, I was getting ready to go to graduate school. My undergrad was in psychology and I intended to be a therapist and I was going to go to social work school and do it, go that route. And my mom's cancer came back. Mm. Um, and this time it was in her liver, it had metastasized to her liver. So, um, put all those plans on hold, <clears throat> finally dumped that terrible boy because you know, what doesn't make you become aware of, 
um, the important things in life than mortality, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I moved back home after graduation instead of going to school and uh-huh. to stay with her because at the, this time they're saying, okay, it's in your liver. You know, we're looking at maybe a two year prognosis or something to that effect. Um, what my a, mom, oh, go ahead. What a gift of that time together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, um, mom relationships are complicated. Yes, <laughs> they are. And you know, the funny thing about it, you know, I guess it's easy to look back at it. Cause I don't remember thinking it at the time, obviously I was like, of course I'm going to move home. I want to spend every moment with her. But one, my mom was such a fighter and not just like fighting cancer. She's just that kind of person. She just mm-hmm. was naturally people gravitate to her very outgoing and spirited and so she always rallied which was fabulous but it kind of puts you on this roller coaster of my life's on hold this is going to happen no wait it's not going to happen everything's going great I can start living again Mm -hmm. so and that's exactly you know what happened I moved home and I was taking care of her and she's doing great you know all the the tumors are shrinking I think they had put a like a stint in her liver, I believe, that was uh-huh. feeding the chemo directly in there and it was working. So we were like, this is awesome. This is gonna, you know, extend her life some period of time. I don't know what kind of, we were young, you know, we were yeah. really thinking about big picture at that point. And um, so, you know, within a couple of years, I had met a new guy and I ended up moving back to Louisville um, where I had been in school and, to, move, to live with him and hang out with him and my friends from college. And then her cancer came back. Mm-hmm. Uh, or actually, I guess I should say the stents stopped working. They got blocked and they had to take them out. So mm-hmm. they ended up having to do a liver resection, take a big chunk out of her liver, um, which was successful. And so they said, oh, this will probably be good for, you know, another two or three years. And it was. Um, so in the meantime, I got married um, to my first husband. And, uh, that lasted six years, but to be fair, it was about two years in when I was like, Oh, this maybe wasn't a good idea. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) This may not have been the best idea, but you know, I'm, I believe in relationships and, and working through things. And so, you know, I was committed to try to make that work anyways. Um, so I guess about four years into that marriage um, or so, my mom became terminal. At that point, it went into her lymph system and it was just all over. Mm-hmm. And so I moved back home and stayed. I literally lived with her for about six months until she passed, um, which would have been in January, no, February of 2002, right mm-hmm. after 9-11. So we can add that in as a traumatic event, right? Oh. Yes. Um, and then I decided to get pregnant <laughs> in March. <laughs> so my mom died in February and I got pregnant in March. Um, so I had my first child in December of right after my mom died. I would not recommend that to anybody. Yeah. In retrospect, um, I think space and time, all kinds of things could have been more appropriate there. Uh, a little opportunity to grieve. Um that's interesting. I was just talking to a friend the other day about songs that are about grief and how a lot of times they're very 
sensual if not sexual songs Mm -hmm. and we were talking about that like curious relationship between like loss and grieving and the desire to like procreate (laughs) which is exactly what you're talking about now because it's that like that instance of hope but also like sex as being something that's like very comforting to us right and like life affirming even like outside of its procreative uh possibilities yep yeah so it's kind of I don't think you're alone in this. Um, in, in <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's funny because I'm pretty sure, I mean, my husband and I hadn't had any major plans at that point about when we might have kids. And I still had some doubts around, you know, the whole thing in general. Uh-huh. But something about, you're right, something about that situation for both of us sort of propelled us into mm-hmm. let's see what happens let's just see what happens and I mean who who really thought <laughs> first try was gonna make a baby so, <laughs> um yeah yeah so and it did so I had a baby and um so that was really tough it was really tough to have uh, a baby you know first Christmas with a new baby and, you know, and your first mom Christmas without your mom yeah yeah, that was, uh, and Christmas was such a big thing for her. It was always a big thing for our family. So it gave us all a distraction, but, and I try to say this in the kindest way so that she never hears this and thinks it's a criticism, but I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Sears. He has a term called high needs babies. They're very. Oh yeah. 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 Well, she's a high needs. She was a high needs baby. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, really um, just needed a lot. And I between giving birth and, you know, not really grieving, but still having that hanging out there. I didn't have a lot to give. So mm-hmm. it was really, really, really intense. Um, <laughs> that first year, especially because babies are just not easy anyways. And um, I always kind of raise an eyebrow to anybody who's like, this is the best thing ever. I'm like, on one hand it is, it's mm-hmm. fabulously amazing. And it's the hardest damn thing you're ever going to do in your whole life. <laughs> So, um, and not just the raising, I mean, I had, I had, um, all natural births by choice, uh-huh. but you know, that's a trauma to your body. Even if you don't yep. have natural, even if you have all the drugs in the world, still trauma to your body. Yep. So, you know, there's a, a adrenal thing going on between death and birth and all of those things, um, that really, it adds up, but, um, it's sort of beautiful also like in, in a poetic sense that like, you chose to become a mother, like, I, I think, like, motherhood connects women across generations, too, mm-hmm. like, that, like, as a, as a role in the understanding of, like, what it means to bring a life into the world, like, I, I think is a beautiful way to, like, connect to your mom, too, so. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. and that has been an interesting theme throughout, being a mother. I have a, a second daughter that came along a couple of years, less than two years later. Um, and it keeps, it comes up a lot. And especially though, with my first daughter, um, she's a lot like me. And I think we have a similar relationship, um, with each other that my mom and I had, mm-hmm. um, which kind of creates uh, that bond, I think a little more than yeah. we had before. I don't know. It oh. is sad that they never met her though. You know, she never met my children and, mm-hmm. or my current husband, which is a weird state to exist in, but. Oh, she sees it, but you know. Right. <laughs> we, we won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other discussion for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
let's okay so you're you're in this state and you're you're realizing that you're, you're not super happy and you're going to do something about it how do you how do you sort of make the jump between like i this is all this chaos is happening in my life i have a lot of emotions that i need to process like wh- where did you start down your path well ultimately i got a divorce and um <laughs> and i say that not in any kind of um uh, animosity towards my, my first husband, you know, he just was never going to be the, um, kind of spiritual, uh, support or foundation that I needed. That was, we were on two different paths in that respect. Mm -hmm. Um, and so after I left that marriage, I wasn't even officially divorced from him when I met my current husband. And, um, (laughs) as silly as this probably sounds, and I have never been one to believe in, faded relationships or soulmate kind of things. But I 100% believe that we were meant to be together at that time in that place. The the weird ways that, you know, it just worked out. I mean, it was February. We had, I'd left my husband in June and I met my current husband in February, following February. So not even a year and uh, moved in like a month later yeah. <laughs> with him and the rest is history. We've been married. We'll be married 12 years in August. Wow. So that was the first step really is kind of freeing myself from something I knew that wasn't going to work. Anymore. Yeah. But um, like the second that you let that like energy go of struggling to have to put that together, you called in the thing that was really meant for you. Yep. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I think I called it in by not wanting it because yeah. I was pretty much uh, committed to being free for a while. And, um, you know, here he came. <laughs> here he came unannounced and unplanned. And it was the same for him, too. He wasn't really looking for a relationship either. But, um, yeah, here yeah. we are. Yes. You are, you are magnetized toward each other. <laughs> I absolutely believe that, yes. Yeah. Um, 100%. Uh, <laughs> okay. So you got a divorce and then you were like, I'm going to learn meditation or I'm going to try Reiki. Like, Well, ironically, no. So what <laughs> actually happened was, um, I guess about in, uh, maybe less than a year into this new relationship, I was diagnosed with um, cervical dysplasia. And it first it sent me into this crazy spirit fear spiral around, I'm going to die just like my mom. Mm -hmm. Um, And so once I kind of got through that, that process and started thinking a little more clearly, um, I did a a ton of research. Thank you, Google. And realized there were some things that can maybe be done naturally to address the issue right before I jumped into surgery. And I had to fight a bunch of doctors over that, but the long story short, right. Yeah. They don't like to do, and understandably because for a lot of people, some people, it does lead to, to cancer, but, um, I, I did find one who was open to helping me, you know, or at least supporting that process for a period of time. And, but what I really got out of that was, oh my gosh, my life is a mess in terms of how I eat and how much I drink and, you know, the things I put in my head, um, Mm -hmm. my, not just my physical body, but just all of it. And so what resulted was a complete overall in my diet, um, and how I, in my stress levels and, well, it was the start, the start of that path. So, you know, one thing tends to lead to another. So, from doing all of that work, um, which it didn't solve the problem, by the way, and I did end up having a surgery mm-hmm. to address that 
specific issue, but the next step of that was um, I ended up becoming taking going to school to become a holistic health coach. Ah, yeah. So it started with the physical, um, uh-huh. and it was a holistic program, right? So while you're looking at dietary theory, they addressed all the different aspects of health. And what I found, especially during the program, but especially when I started working with actual people, is I really don't want to help anybody figure out how to lose weight or exercise more. I'm not good at it. I'm not even good at those things myself. So (laughs) I would not be your coach for that. (laughs) But what I was really, really drawn to and was the spiritual aspect of wellness and how you think and how you connect to what's bigger than you affects everything, even more than how you change your diet, in my opinion, because it permeates everything. Um, And sometimes you could even work, do the spiritual work without the other work and see benefits quicker. And frankly, it's, it's easier in a way. It's actually, it's gentler. Maybe it's not always easy, I guess, but, um, and that's how I, got started in more on the spiritual side of things and really just noticed the more I tried to do health coaching, the more I lean towards the spiritual side of things. And that was even before I got into energy. Yeah. Yeah. I have um, a meditation teacher that talks about like, it's a lot easier to fix uh, or not to fix, but to like become aware of a disease or something that's going to happen in physical reality around you that you're carrying with you in your like energy body. Mm-hmm. It's, it's easier to move the energy before it like settles in and becomes like physical. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And she taught, like she talks about that a lot. And I like, I, I'll ask you a little more questions about the like holistic health coaching and the energy stuff a little bit later, later. Sure. but like, yeah, it's so important. And you're not, it's always surprising how much like emotion um, or unresolved trauma exists in the body, yes. um, whether or not we're aware of it or in our energy around us. Yeah. Coming yeah. through in, in uh, thoughts or subconscious beliefs. Like it's just, it's incredible. Yep. So, yeah. So, so you did the, did you do the IIN holistic health coaching? I did. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I hear fabulous. So many, yeah, yeah. I hear so many good things about their program. And I also think it's like really nice to hear like, so you started in this like really practical physical space and then you, you started in the body with like what you were eating and mm-hmm. like that those sort of healing elements and then you moved into the spiritual aspect of it. Yep. Yeah. Um, so what sort of doubts or hurdles did you have to overcome, um, to get you to the place that you're at now, like as a practitioner? Well, I will say I'm still dealing with that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I've been yep. doing work lately around resistance, specifically the energy of resistance. Um, I find that I am, through a lot of reasons, I'm sure, a lot of um, experiences, I have really figured out how to be practical in the world and thinking ba- head based. And I have to work harder to be heart-based and intuition-based, which is 
really where the magic starts, right? You know, mm-hmm. it starts inside and it works its way out into tangible things. And I have to learn and relearn and relearn that over and over <laughs> and over again. Um, and I think hand in hand with that is that whole kind of imposter syndrome feel of, yes. you know, I could sit here and list off, look at all the things I just told you that I've been through. But in my mind, it was just stuff. It wasn't any more extreme or uh, life altering than anybody else's stuff. So it's hard for me often to articulate how that is any, you know, makes me special (laughs) in Uh any sort of way. Like, how does that mean? Why, what, what does that, who am I to, to put myself out there rather than somebody else. And as, even as I say it, I know how ridiculous it is, but Uh that's because I've done the work for so many years to know that it's not about my story so much as it is how it lands on someone else. Yep. And the energy connection between us. Um, But I still have to remind myself of that over and over again. Oh my God. You and me both on that one. (laughs) Yeah. That one can be totally hard. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I, uh, so I'm curious, I know that you do a lot of writing and I, I don't know if you would be willing to share with people like sort of how you overcome some of those hurdles. Like, do you use writing to, to sort of like self-talk or convince yourself that like with the imposter syndrome, like I'll, um, sit down and I'll be like, no, like no one can tell my story the way that I can. And my story needs to be shared so that people can relate to it because it might have wisdom in it that like, not that I'm giving the wisdom, but the, the like trials and difficulties and the solutions for them could be potential pathways for other people. Right. Right. And so like giving it that kind of purpose helps to overcome that. And I personally do that a lot with writing. And so I'm curious if you're, well, first, can you talk a little bit about the writing work that you do? And then also as a aside to that, could you talk about ways that you sort of like deal with these hurdles? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I have, I I tend to write poetry. Um, That is my go-to and I have written poetry since I was a child. Um, I have in a journal here, poems dating back to, I think, 1982. Yeah. Yeah. So this is all, poetry has always been my go-to writing style. I mean, I used to do some short stories and things, but and for me, poetry is really raw and really personal. And when I was younger, it really was much more about releasing, you know, what was going on with me. Um, And what's interesting about that story I was telling about college is that I have a, when I, when I started doing all this work for myself, I pulled out my old journal because I did a writing program and I was like, oh yeah, I've still got this journal somewhere. And I was reading through it and there was a one poem that it just ended in about my, I think about my senior year of college. And it was a really um, harrowing kind of, I mean, if you read it, it's like, wow, I don't know what just happened to her, but something big happened. And that was the mm-hmm. last poem I wrote for like close to 20 years. Shit. Yeah. So I, when I started writing again, it was mostly for healing. I mean, it was just my own, like, it was almost like the way I described it a lot was just 20 years of block. You know, it's like I moved a block out of a creek, you know, like a mm-hmm. dammed up area and everything just like, load right <laughs> and I mean I just wrote anything that came and a lot of it really was deep like oh my gosh I'm getting over this thing and then it kind of shifted as I did the spiritual work it started shifting into 
more spiritual connection type thoughts um, that were coming up. And then it's interesting to me to kind of observe how things have shifted because uh, you know, I'm in a different place in that spiritual path now. And so the work, the writing sort of becomes partly my own healing process and a reflection on that. And then partly, often what I will ask myself, especially if I'm not, something's not coming to me naturally is what does somebody need to hear today? Mm, yeah, and, I like that. Yeah. And what I have figured out, like I'm starting to kind of see a pattern between there's the poems I write to um, purge whatever's going on with me. Mm-hmm. And then there's the poems that are really more of a channel. Um, they yeah. might be for me, but they might be for somebody else uh, and probably several people. Um, and, and it just depends on what's coming up that particular day as to what comes out. <laughs> so do you, do you write every day? Um, I do in the sense that, and I don't know if you've seen the daily blisses I do. So I switched those over to a a micro poem. So Monday through Fridays, I try to get out a daily bliss, just a little mini poem. And then I usually once or twice a week will write something a little longer, a little more in depth. And I post that once a month. Um, where are your daily blisses? I feel like I've been missing these. Where are they? Where did I find them? (laughs) So they're on my blog. Um, and then I usually post them, of course, in my Facebook business page and my personal page and in my Facebook group. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, Facebook's funny. You know, you just don't always see everything that's out there. It only shows you a, a snippet of the world. Yeah. I sort of long for those days Facebook came out when I was, uh, senior, graduating senior in college. And, um, I, like, I thought it was dumb. Didn't even sign up for it for like two more years after that. Oh yeah, me too. (laughs) But it, uh, I missed those early days of Facebook where as people posted things, they would pop up and you saw everything that your friends posted. Yep. Like, and now I feel like not that they're hiding it, but I, I feel like the, the things that I see are really repetitive and it like Mm -hmm. forces me to keep scrolling and it, yeah. yeah, I don't, I just, I don't like it, but no, yeah. I agree. It's very frustrating. And, you know, from a business perspective, it's even more, or if you have a message you want to get out to people, it's yeah. even more challenging. So, well, they're making you pay for that now, but they are. we're not gonna, we're not gonna, this can't be about hating on Facebook. <laughs> no, I still love it. I do still love it. I just, it, maybe it's not for everybody's business. And I have some, some thoughts around that too. Ways so, you know. Yeah. So you were writing a lot still then many poems and then posting them to your groups on Facebook. And then you have two books. Yes. And then I like, so (laughs) I know (laughs) when you hear it all together, you're like, how do I do all this? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. It does sound overwhelming. (laughs) No, but when it's like pouring, when it's pouring out, it feels effortless, right? It does. Um, The writing comes very natural. So to write a poem every day, generally speaking, isn't that hard, Um, especially with the little smaller poems, because they can be really hyper-focused on one kind of topic or something, Um, just a little snippet of what somebody needs right now. Um, But even the longer poems don't take more effort. Um, And to be honest, and you maybe are planning to go here, but 
the books don't take effort either because I don't compile them in a chronological fashion. Like I don't sit down and go, I'm going to write a book and here's what I'm going to put in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, uh, goodness, at this point, 300 plus poems that are on my blog and I have saved in various places. And then I have, of course, that's not even counting the daily bliss poems. So mm-hmm. I have a natural library of information to choose from when it feels right to put some more information into a book. Nice. So it's like plug and play. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, and then it almost feels like you're composing. So then you get to frame the experiences that you have in, in a format that's like usable or interactive for other people. I love that. Um, that's kind of how I make art. <laughs> right. Like, without a, yeah. Without I have like lots of pieces that are like mm-hmm. done or close to done. And then when I'm getting ready for a show, I finish them mm-hmm. all together, like as a group. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about channeling with the poems. Um, but I also noticed on your website there, there's a lot of like angel wording around angels and stuff. And so I was wondering if you could like, maybe talk a little bit about angels, like who they are for people who are, who are like, what are angels? What is happening? And then like how you interact with them. Yeah, sure. So that was kind of a surprising, um, development in this spiritual path because I it was never something that angels were ever something that was really part of my repertoire at all as it even when I was more religious as a younger like in high school and stuff it just was not something I was drawn to per se and I don't honestly remember exactly how it kind of came into being but as I you know did my spiritual work and you know became more open to you know this bigger picture perspective that there might be guides and helpers and different beings that are around us. Um, the, I, I found myself more and more drawn to this concept of angels and that that is the group that I tend to work with more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would never say in any way that I am any kind of expert on angels. Um, I know there's a lot of books and, and people who, who claim to be, and maybe they are, but for me, it's a very personal, um, personal experience in that that is the group uh, of beings that tend to be more my muse and my protectors and the people that the the beings that help me um, come up with ideas I guess you know the creative piece you know like when I go internal those are usually who show up I mean there's others but um, you know I kind of have a little little posse, little angel posse that (laughs) I love it. Healer folks. Yeah. (laughs) I do that too. I call it, sometimes I'll go into meditation and I'm not going there to get information. I just want to sit and feel that love. Like, and, um, it was, do you know, Suzanne Smith? Yes. Yeah. She's been, she was my first interviewee on the podcast, but she was talking to me about it when I was first like getting to know my guides and she was like, just sit in the power. Like just sit in that love and like let it flow through you and around you. And it's so like rewarding to do that. And I just love, I love that your posse is filled with angels. <laughs> me too. Me too. I, I find such um, peace really yeah. with that. And it, I mean, it comes easily, it comes natural at this point. So that actually makes it, I guess, kind of nice too, <laughs> just as a natural flow. Yeah, I have, I have some like personal questions if you're willing to like share about them. Like, 
I have, I have a guide that I call my hillbilly wisdom guide. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you know, the like characters in Shakespeare that are the like wise fools. Yes. Yeah. So some of the wisdom that comes out of that, like guide, I like, it always cracks me up. It's always humor based. Um, but then there's always that like twinge of truth in there. Like, and when you really look at it, you see how true it is. Mm-hmm. And then I have like other guides that have other like different feelings, like one guide that's very direct and helps me with like healing and body stuff. But like, I'm, so I'm curious, like with the angels, do they have names? Do they bring different energies or do they all sort of feel just like angelic and you're aware of their presence, but there's not like specific kind of feelings between them? Right. No. So that's a great question. And, um, it's yes. And it's all of the above. Um, so I actually took a mediumship class for about a year. Yay. Love mediumship. (laughs) Right. I didn't, I don't really want to be a medium. I don't either say, (laughs) but I really loved what I really took away from that was the ability to discern the different energies that come in, like what yep. an angel feels like and what a, you know, somebody's ancestor feels like and what an alien or, you know, something yeah. else. Yeah. Um, so it was super fascinating, but it really, part of that work in the way he taught it was that you have this team that helps you with mediumship. So we had to meet all those guides. Yeah. So I have all those folks um, and they kind of serve different purposes, kind of like what you were talking about. So I have two or three folks that have shown up over time as protectors. Mm-hmm. Um, one is an angel, but the one's um, a Native American, and one is, um, well, I know Eskimo is not the proper term these days, but that's how I got to him um, from yeah. a song. But anyhow, um, and but then, so I have like individual angels and individual guides who will show up in different ways when I need them. And then I have what I kind of call a collective, um, a group of angels that I don't necessarily experience individually but as a group and uh-huh. they kind of to me are kind of the ones that are kind of behind me kind of keeping me in line and pushing me forward and kind of whispering in my ear um less of a specific guide but more of a group like you know we're we're your people um, yeah we're here for you we may not always hear us talking but we're always here yeah and so they do all mostly have names um, I love that yeah I have keep a little notebook of every time something new shows up, what it, whether it feels male, female, what it looked like. And, um, I write down a name if I get that. Yeah. I've been doing a practice where, um, I've been honoring my like intuition and the ideas that come through me by like writing them down. Cause sometimes you'll have an idea, right? Like Mm -hmm. an inspiration and then you immediately go into like, well, I don't have the time to make that painting or I can't mm-hmm. write that poem right now or whatever. But if I just like jot down the idea of it, even if I never make it, I honor the source that sent it to me. Yeah. Well, that's a great practice. I really it, like that. Yeah. That I've been, I've been doing that. Like, cause I also think people get stuck in like, okay, so I'm like getting all of this, but then I can't like, I can't do it all. But sometimes you don't have to. Sometimes it's literally just the act of saying, thank you for sending that to me. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. I tend to keep a lot of notes too, because I'm sure, you know, from being an artist is little ideas pop up at all possible times. Oh yeah. Usually when you're not able to do anything. Like oh yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. That's why I got, that's why I have that notebook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I have notes everywhere, notes on my phone and notes on my computer. And yes. I guess that makes sense too. Like how with the writing, you know, I will write a lot of things with no 
purpose for them necessarily until later yep. the purpose comes together and like, oh, yep. <laughs> yeah. And it's so important that you've like followed through on it, even though you were like, I don't know where this is going. I don't know who's going to read it, but here yeah. it is. I'm, I'm putting it down on the page. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's been a practice too, because I'm pretty darn stubborn and I tend to like to see the, um, what's coming at the end of the tunnel before I can take a step. And obviously there's nothing in the world like that, especially spiritual work. So, yep. um, that's definitely been a part of the practice as well as trusting. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard to do, but it's so important. Right. <laughs> so, I um I noticed on your website that you have angel circles. Can you give like a bit more information about like, uh, well, about the angel circles in particular, and then also like how and why meeting in circle is so useful and important to spiritual development? Sure. Yeah. So the circle um, is called the Awakening Angels Women's Circle. And um, despite the name, it's not actually about angels. Um, and my vision for that was a supportive spiritual circle where the um, earth angels of the world could come together and oh, love have it. some support and in their process of not just awakening spiritually, because while that's an, an important aspect, you know, people are still living through everything, right? I mean, you have the human piece of it too. So the focus is really around, well, it's shifted. I'm actually in, we just started the fourth year of the circle. So it's run for three full years. I still have a couple of the original members who come on a regular basis. Um, but it, and it kind of shifts based on it, but it has become very much a sharing and support circle for women who are um, on some kind of spiritual path, whatever that looks like, um, mm -hmm. even though that's not always what comes to the circle. So women bring whatever they're dealing with in their life that day. So it could be spiritual, but it might just be, I'm having a bad time in my relationship and I need to share that. Um, and then we have the opportunity to support each other and for everybody to be heard and seen. And um, it, it shifts based on who's there, which is what I think I really like about it. Um, sometimes it is very much focused on somebody's deeper work. And sometimes it becomes more conversational depending on who's there and what they need and what energy they're bringing. So it's like a physical, you all meet in real life. We have been meeting in real life until recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, nobody's meeting in real life. Right nobody's now. meeting in real life. <laughs> now, uh, interestingly enough, I've really been wanting to take it online so I can reach more people because clearly when you do something in person, you have a limited audience, right? You can't, mm -hmm. you can only reach the people who are local. And there was a lot of, um, oh, there was hesitation from folks around wanting, not wanting to, or not being able to get the same thing out of a virtual circle. Yep. And then of course, you know, because of the world right now, we've had to take it online. And I, I don't know how people are actually feeling like once we can meet in person, but it has gone really well, like even better than I maybe expected. Um, so I think that gives me hope that for the future, we could continue something online. So, yeah. that, you know, I just would other people, cause there's women in my Facebook group for the, that I created around the circle who are not local, who might very well love to join the circle, but can't drive to Louisville. So, or to really, I'm in Indiana, but. Yeah. Or maybe both can, can happen like exactly. yes. at, at different times so that the people who are like, as I was telling you, I, I personally, I go much deeper in real life right. um, or I feel more comfortable doing that in real life. I'm not mm -hmm. a big fan of the computer. 
um, <laughs> just in general. <laughs> yeah, I get that. <laughs> but, I get that. Yeah, but uh, like having the options would be great, like to be able to meet in person in real life, like once a month or something, and then also to be able to meet online once a month. Yes. And that had been the plan. So I was getting ready to launch that. Ta-da. Ta-da. Yeah. So for now, we're still just doing the one. But yes, I think um, the plan would be to have one in an evening during a week for those mm-hmm. who can't do Saturday mornings. And then one with the Saturday morning, continue the Saturday morning in-person circle for those who want to do have something more in-person. Or who knows, you know, I'm trying, as I've said, to be a lot more open to what is needed energetically as opposed to what I think I want to do or people need. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how things will shift going forward. We're in such a time of shifting and changing right now. Yeah. It's kind of beautiful. It, as I've been like working with manifesting also thinking about like, what well, does it, I mean, it, it obviously matters what people can, will and won't do and what they need and what they don't need, but also important in this scenario is like what I'm willing to do and what would be fulfilling to me and like so I like literally will not do certain things that maybe I should be doing because they won't (laughs) they won't bring me gratification and if I don't have the like the the people that I'm trying to serve if those people aren't showing up then what was the point of me doing it anyway right you know yeah yeah so (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) being specific with the like universe, like I want to do this. I don't want to do that. So please send the people here. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a a practice in and of itself too. (laughs) Sometimes we, yeah, you're right. Um, my, the guy that taught the mediumship class always told us how he had put it out to the universe that he wanted to have a view of the mountains and some other things and his new house. And mm-hmm. he lives in a house now where he um, has everything he wanted, including a mountain view, which is, happens to be Floyd's knobs behind him and uh, yeah. in there. And he got the mountain view. Now, maybe he didn't necessarily care which mountain view, but it either speaks to openness or being more specific. Depending. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. yeah. I learned the, the first manifestation that I got that was proof to me that manifestation really worked was a lesson in being specific. (laughs) 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 Oh, it's, it's kind of a a smart outlook sometimes, isn't it? (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it was a lesson that actually helped me get clear on what I wanted to do with my life. Um, because when I got what I thought I wanted, I was like, oh, mm. never mind. Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. Like this. Like, yeah. and so then it, it helped. It, it was exactly what I needed to move me into where I needed to be right now. Yeah. So, um, perfect. Yeah. No joke. <laughs> I had a question on here that I think we've kind of already answered. Uh, but it was what types of journeys or adventures have you been on and where have you felt like you were changed or like you gained spiritual wisdom or other wisdom came through from these specific journeys and adventures? And if you feel like we've already covered this, then um, I have like maybe one or two more questions. We've covered that directly. Um, and I read that question earlier and I was trying to think um, like 
I don't, I've never taken like an official spiritual journey other than, you know, this process, but what came up for me that, um, I think is, well, you've seen my website, right? It's very, um, ocean focused and I love your website. Yeah. And it makes me feel good. And that's what the ocean to me, I have discovered over the last several years. Um, well, really last 12, since my husband and I started going to the Gulf together, um, I have a thing with the ocean. Like that is my place where I feel really at home, really connected, really grounded. Mm. I mean, I know part of it is I'm on vacation, so I'm disconnected from work and those kinds of stresses. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes the kids and those types of things, but it's deeper than that. And, and, and my husband and I have talked about this quite a bit and there's been a lot of interesting, um, I don't, I wouldn't say like, I don't get full awarenesses of things, but like feeling energetic shifts when I'm at the ocean that I then can bring back major, major spiritual downloads at the ocean. I also am an ocean baby, Mm -hmm. a a, a mama intuition lover. Yes. Are you a Pisces? (laughs) I married a Pisces. I'm a Scorpio. Yeah. So I was going to say, because add to it, I'm a, I'm a Pisces. So I've totally have the fishy water, you know, floaty thing, but. Oh yeah. You're a water sign. Yeah. Totally a water sign. And yeah. So that's kind of my, it's my eight. We do, we go there eight. Now we go two weeks. Um, and it's just a complete, like almost like a little Mecca, you know, and I write more and I don't, like I said, I don't always get something specific, but it's almost like it, it recharges and resets a lot of things every time. So our goal is to move to the ocean. So we don't, um, <laughs> so we can visit everywhere else. Cause we end up going to the same place every year because we're so drawn to it. Both of us. Um, that'd be nice to live there and have that all the time and then be able yes. to go other places um, for other experiences. The funny part is that this really talk about things coming back full circle is that one of the things my husband and I had this dream of doing several years ago is we were going to have a nonprofit organization that catered to families dealing with cancer because my uh-huh. mom and his dad had died of cancer. And we were going to take them on the whole family, like on a retreat mm-hmm. to see us to key, just a vacation, just like, you know, the whole family gets to go and start yeah. thinking about the fact that they, and so this, we had this whole big plan. It just never came to fruition because, you know, life, but it's, to me, it's a full circle thing. It's not yeah. the exact thing, but we dreamed it up then. And here it's coming back into vision in yeah. a way but still the same more or less idea well you're not doing it yet exactly that's why I like writing down the ideas because I put mm-hmm. them on there and I immediately start worried of worrying about like how or when or yes. like I'm going to do this all at once like what the fuck am I thinking but like <laughs> right. writing it down I'm like okay it's there it will get done eventually when it's supposed to but I've yes. like honored it enough to write it down here right <laughs> Yeah. 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 And then so many things come back. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm like open to trans it transmuting or, you know, becoming mm-hmm. its own thing or whatever. Exactly. Um, I have one last question for you and then, um, I'll sort of, um, stop, I'll, I'll hit the, uh, I'll stop recording us and, and we can kind of say goodbye and follow up sure. and stuff. So the last question is, do you have any advice or messages for anyone as they start down their spiritual path? So the spiritual path can be really, really ugly. (laughs) It can be really, really hard. And I think 
knowing as you go into it that the work is really deep, but the deeper and the more challenging it is, the more you're going to get out of it ultimately. Um, and so I think what I, when I look back on it, what I missed out, and I think this is a lot of why I ended up creating the circle that I have and the, and the informal circles that I have in my life is that having somebody or a group of people that really can support you through it mm-hmm. and not think that you're crazy because mm-hmm. so much happens that you think, oh my gosh, I'm crazy. I'm literally crazy. Of- yes. And you can't talk to everybody about it. You know, you can't go to work and tell them about these weird things you're seeing or experiencing or feeling. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. having a group, having, you know, that support to be able to um, just help you through it and not think that you're losing your mind is, is really just invaluable. Um, but just taking that first step is the most important part uh, or you're never going to get anywhere. Yes. Oh, so much. Yes. I love that. <laughs> Right. (laughs) This has been like such an amazing and inspiring conversation. If anyone out there listening feels called to work with you, where can they find you? They can find me at my website, which is ashleybarnes.org. And um, I have a contact form there and you can just reach out to me and I will get back to you and we can talk about what that looks like. That's awesome. So you do Reiki coaching. Do you do health coaching? Not directly. Like I said, I do more um, work on the energetic level. And then people can also reach out to you to join your angel circle and do that type of work too. Absolutely. Oh, that's so great. Well, thank you so much, Ashley, for sharing your experiences with us here at Sacred Adventure Begin. We were so happy to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you again, everyone out there who is listening today. What a beautiful voice Ashley has and what an incredible story. I hope that there are a lot of takeaways for you here. Um, To end us out today, I'm going to read from her book, The Rising, a poem called Gathering of the Flame. This light, so hard to carry. This light, so difficult to bear. At times, more a burden than a blessing more a challenge than an easy road, and yet our heart still calls us to the flame. As months endure their sacred dance, to fly despite the burning, strip down the wings, but not the character, nor the pollination of beauty, keeping light alive, even with burnt wings, even when hope seems futile, the gathering of the flame is our birthright and our quest. Lovely. So again, if you like this episode, please rate, like, and review the show in whatever platform you're listening from. It helps people to find us. And uh, feel free to share it with someone you think might enjoy this episode. Goodbye for now.